You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Quite a ride. Uh, <laughs> um, I can almost say Mark Bay's name needs no introduction. Uh, probably doesn't for me, but uh, he's a science fiction pro who has published many books with Bain, who ran Sycamore Hill with John Kessel, who went to Clarion, I believe, right? Didn't do that. Just didn't do that. But anyway, <laughs> he's uh, been a name in science fiction for quite a while. His new book is called Children No More, and I'll leave the rest up to him. Okay, yeah. My reading is going to be kind of dark. Um, so Not, yeah. That wasn't dark? Yeah, <laughs> even, even darker. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit from the book and also from a series of essays I've been doing. Uh, the book is the fourth in a series. It features a recurring pair of characters uh, in a far future, but you don't really need to know any of that to do the book. I'm I will mention, uh, and uh, Rena put it on the publicity, that one of the things I'm doing with this book is I'm donating everything I make from sales of the hardback to a charity called Falling Whistles, which helps to reintegrate and uh, rehabilitate child soldiers. And I will, in the course of the reading, tell you a little bit about that. So uh, a lot of short chapters in the book. I have to wear reading glasses. I'm old. Uh, so I'm going to read you uh, uh, first the second chapter of the book, which is... Uh, what's happening in a holographic recording that the main character is watching. And uh, the, the book's chapters occur in a, a past thread and as well as a present time thread. But for a brief time, there's a secondary past thread, which is the child soldiers. And that's what I'm going to read from now. <coughs> it's a rebel jungle base outside Ventura, planet Tumani. This devil helped the Tumani government kill your parents, the large man said. Easily the same two meters tall that I am, but at least 20 kilos heavier than my own hundred, the copper-skinned man spoke in a booming voice that matched well with his size. Are you going to let him get away with that crime? With all those crimes? No one answered. The man paced back and forth in front of a pale gray tree whose half-meter diameter trunk stretched limbless from the ground to far above what I could see. The entire image shook slightly, as if the person recording it was trembling in fear. Whoever had edited the solo had left in panting that further suggested the recorder had been terrified. Tied to the tree with quick clasp cables around his neck, waist, wrists, knees, and ankles was a darker man, at least a head shorter and no more than half the height of his captor. The man shook his head back and forth, his eyes bulging with effort, but the rag in his mouth stifled his attempts to scream. Strangled, unintelligible sounds emerged, more animal cries than words. Are you? the larger man screamed. The image jerked right and left as the recorder scanned the clearing. On both sides stood boys, at least two dozen of them, dressed in dirt-streaked and torn gray and green and tan and brown shorts and shirts, few with shoes, all at least as thin as the man tied to the tree, all visibly hungry, afraid, and angry, their faces tight with tension. The smallest couldn't have been a whole meter and a half tall, while the biggest was no taller than the terrified captive. They all looked younger than 18. Many appeared to be prepubescent. All were just kids, kids who should have been spending their days growing up with their families, climbing in trees, not watching the useless struggling of a man bound to one. 
We are soldiers, the captor said, waving his arm to take in people on either side of him, people I could not see. Soldiers who rescued you before this man and his fellow criminals could kill you as they killed your families. He lowered his voice. And now you are soldiers too, safe with us, your new brothers. He spoke louder again as he added, Does a brother let anyone who hurts his brother go unpunished? He stared at each of them in turn pausing a second on each face, his expression calm and resolute and strong. When he finished sweeping across the boys, he faced forward and screamed, his mouth twisting with rage, No! Wordless murmuring all around. He pointed again at the prisoner, who was now straining so hard against his bonds that muscles and veins stood out all over his body. So I ask you, brothers, soldiers, men of the families this man stole from you, will you let him get away with this crime? No! A boy screamed. The image jerked to focus on one of the tallest of the kids. No, he said again. The large man nodded in satisfaction. No, a small pale boy standing next to the first responder said, his voice barely audible, tears making his eyes glisten. My family is gone. The large man approached the little boy, kneeled in front of him, and put his hand on the boy's shoulder. Yes, he said. The government devils, this demon, he pointed at the captive without taking his eyes off the boy, and his evil friends took away your loved ones. He stood, keeping his hand on the child's soldier, shoulder. But now you have a new family. You have all of us. He turned the boy to face the others as his hand again swept through the air to encompass them all. And will we let your suffering go unavenged? No, several boys yelled. Will we let the demons get away with murdering his family? No, more voices screamed. With killing all of your families? No, no, no. The others joined and the answer became a chant. The captor held up his hand. The boys quieted. Who will be the first, the man said, to show this government demon that he cannot break us, that no matter what he does to us or to our families, our brotherhood will prove too strong for him. Who will be first? He looked down at the small boy standing next to him. He removed his hand from the boy's shoulder. Who will it be? The boy wiped his eyes and looked up at the man. I, I will, he said, his voice quavering. The large man smiled and rubbed the top of the boy's head. We have a warrior, he said. Size and age mean nothing to a soldier as strong and brave as this one. He ran his hand over the boy's head again, but this time he let it linger there long enough to turn the boy to face the captive. He advanced on the prisoner, his hand still guiding the boy, the boy moving with him with the unsure motion of one walking while not yet quite awake. When he and the boy were so close to the captive that they were almost touching the now sobbing man, he stopped and stepped away from the boy. Hit him, the large man said. Hit him for your family, for yourself, for all of us. The boy raised his fist but looked into the eyes of the captive and paused. Hit him, the large man screamed, for your new brothers. So they all, all of the government demons, all the people who killed your parents and brothers and sisters, understand that we will stand together against them. The boy looked at him for a moment. The man nodded and said, hit him. The boy punched the prisoner in the stomach with a tentative, weak blow of a young child, his fist not even fully balled, the strike barely moving the writhing captive's shirt. The other boys whooped and yelled and cheered. Who will join this warrior, the large man screamed, and carrying our message to those who would hurt us, who would hurt our brothers. I will, said the tall boy who had first responded. He ran forward without prompting and hit the captive hard in the gut. The prisoner sagged as much as he could against his bonds. The boys cheered again. The little boy stared at the bigger boy and hit the prisoner again, this time harder. 
The boys yelled, wordless animal sounds. Join them, the large man screamed, all of you. Show them your power as soldiers, as brothers. One boy stepped forward, then another, and another, and in seconds all of them were racing forward, yelling and waving their fists. They fell upon the prisoner like a tsunami breaking on a shore. The recorder rushed after them, lagging most of the boys, but now with them, a fist waving in front of the image, one more fist to join the barrage, pummeling the captive, who no longer moved. The crowd parted long enough for me to see the blood-soaked prisoner, small bloodied fists pounding over and over and over into him, and then it froze the frenzied beating boys, and the tree-tied corpse motionless in the air in front of me. So that's a, a little bit from that. Um, there are plenty of sections that are not that dark, I have to say. The entire book is not a relentless beating itself. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to, uh, I don't want to take too long. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you two other weird things. I'm going to skip to the afterword of the book to explain something. And then I'm going to um, read you something that isn't in the book, which is uh, an entry from my blog. And... Uh, I'm not going to read you the whole afterward, but I want to, this is an easy way to talk about what I'm doing here. Uh, so this is actually the very end of the book. My first goal in any book is to tell a good story. In the course of doing so, themes naturally arise. Sometimes those themes are clear only in hindsight when the work is complete. Other times, as in Children No More, they appear the moment the idea for the book pops into my brain. The use of children as soldiers is one of those topics that few people like to discuss. Depending on what you read and watch, you can go a very long time without bumping into it. Do a web search on the subject, however, and you'll find that children are fighting and dying every day. Hard numbers are, as you might expect, difficult to come by. But groups such as the International Rescue Committee estimate about 300,000 boys and girls are involved today in this horrific practice. I find this deeply disturbing. I think everyone should. I understand that in the catalog of the world's woes, a cause with only a few hundred thousand sufferers may seem like a small thing. Numerically, it certainly falls way below hunger, disease, poverty, and many other vital issues humanity must address. But these are children, children whom adults are turning into soldiers, and that is simply wrong. I must confess to a special connection to this cause because of personal experience, not, I hasten to note, as a child soldier. I have never experienced anything as bad as what these boys and girls undergo. I did, however, spend three years in a youth group that trained young boys to be soldiers. The group's intentions were good, to use military conventions and structures to teach discipline, fitness, teamwork, and many other valuable lessons. It certainly accomplished many of those goals with me. The year I joined, however, was 1965, and war was ramping up in Vietnam. I was 10 years old. Yeah, I'm really old. On my first day, an active soldier on leave showed up and acted as our drill sergeant. That afternoon, I saw my first, but not my last, necklace of human ears and learned the ethics of collecting them. That day, I stood at attention in the hot Florida sun while this grown man screamed at me and, when I cried, punched me in the stomach so hard that I fell to the ground and threw up. He f put his boot on my head and ground the side of my face into my vomit. That was not the worst day I had in those three years. It wasn't even close. My worst days with that group were nothing compared to what the child soldiers endure. Nothing. So there's a little more. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit of it, um, but I want to read the end of this and then one more little thing. I grew up believing in a number of virtues that my mother taught me were essential American beliefs. One of the most important and powerful of them was something that seemed, and still seems, so obvious to me that I've always held it close. Each generation owes the next one a better world. We owe our children a better life than the one we enjoyed. When any group makes its children into soldiers, it is abandoning that responsibility. That group is wrong. This practice must stop, 
and we owe it to the former child soldiers to help reintegrate them into their societies. I hope we pay that debt. So um, I used to, a long time ago, think that you could write something and maybe you wouldn't put yourself out there. You know, some people didn't. And I've come to realize that every writer, like comedian, is working naked from the waist down and whatever you are is going to come through in your work. Um, and so with that, um, and partly because I get a lot of mail from people, a lot of my books deal with topics of abuse soldiers, and I get, abused children rather, and I get mail from people who uh, were sexually abused, who were um, physically abused, who were in the military too young. And universally these people are afraid to talk about it. The people that they live with don't want to hear about it. The people that they care for don't want to hear about it. Uh, Andrew Vox, a crime writer and a attorney who specializes in defecting, uh, defending children calls uh, abused children the children of the secret and it's because nobody wants to hear so I decided fuck that and so I've started doing a series of uh, blog entries called lessons from a militarized childhood I was in this youth group I was also for four years an abused child and so I'm going to read you um, one of those lessons uh, I think uh, I'm going to read you the worst lesson I guess it's the least uh, violent lesson. So this is the lesson. You deserve it. They wouldn't hurt you if you were better. If you had held up your legs longer during the leg lifts, they wouldn't have needed to stomp on your stomach. If you weren't such a baby, you would have kept your legs up when they did. If you were a better fighter, you wouldn't lose so often, even though half the time your opponents are men twice your size, men who laugh as you hit them and then slam you so hard you cannot breathe. They make it clear. They say it over and over. They're doing it for your own good. Without them to teach you the lessons you need to learn, you'd grow up even stupider, uglier, and fatter than you are. You'd let down your squad. You'd die early. You'd let others die. You won't do that. You won't let down anyone. So you try to be better. You know with a bedrock certainty, more than you know anything else, that if you were only better, they would stop hurting you. You wouldn't have to fight. You'd get to be like the other kids you remember, or have seen on TV, or see as you march by, carrying your gun, your eyes scanning everywhere while their dads hold them high and point out the little soldiers. Aren't they like little men? Aren't they cute? So, that's it. I get a little choked up sometimes, sorry about that. Wow. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.